Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. We have a massive roundtable tonight, so let's get some introductions out of the way. We have got Legends of Lego Batman in California. Oh, cheers. Grandpa Batman in Texas. Howdy. The Bat Force Times in New York. And I am Robin Cross in Canada. Tonight, uh, we have a lot to delve into. Uh, in, in 2018, Detective Comics featured a story arc titled On the Outside. That was one of the most universally loved stories I can recall. Uh, Spanning issues 982 to 987, author Brian Hill told the story of Batman enlisting the services of Jefferson Pierce, a.k.a. Black Lightning, to help train the younger members of the Bat family to act as a team, specifically Duke Thomas, Cassandra Cain, and Batgirl. When Jefferson brought in assistance of his own in the form of Katana, we all, I think, began to suspect that we were seeing the return of Batman and the Outsiders. This was soon confirmed with the announcement of a new Batman and the Outsiders series. Fast forward to today, we have brought in some assistance of our own to take us into Batman and the Outsiders, making his return to the show, the author, Mr. Brian Hill. Hello. Thank you so much. And making his first appearance on the show, uh, you've seen his work on... Redwood and the Outlaws, uh, Arkham Knight Genesis, Batman Beyond, Captain Marvel, Mortal Kombat, and now, as of the time this episode is online, now in stores, Batman and the Outsiders number one, the artist, Mr. Dexter Sola. Hey! Hello, guys. Yeah! And first of all, thank you so much for uh, both of you helping us, uh, being so flexible as to both be available at the same time for this and double thank you to brian this is your birthday and you're taking time to to come on and talk about this so uh, thank you again happy birthday brian it is my birthday birthday. president thank you well you know um (laughs) the best thing you can do when you have a birthday is to make sure that you share that special day with people that are of the same mind of bringing positivity into the world of comics and build your own library. You are a fresh 28 years old. Is that correct? That's, that's absolutely correct. I am 28. Maybe younger. Maybe, maybe even younger. Many people confuse me with the childish Gambino. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, First of all, uh, how's life been for the, for the two of you lately? Uh, how's everything? Me? I'm, you know, I'm great, man. I, I get to see Dexter's awesome art mm. in my email. Ooh, thank you. Uh, so that's that's been amazing. Um, how are you, Dexter? Well, I'm doing good. Still busy, of course. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I'm writing all these uh, scripts for you to draw. 
Well, you know, just, it's just eighteen panel grids. I don't know what the big problem is. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody had to one up Tom King. Some right, like you know, Tom was. I'm like nine panel grid. Push <laughs> Take this CIA. <laughs> okay, so uh, I mentioned the Detective Comics run. We all loved that. It was that was awesome. You've been super busy since then. You've had American Carnage kicking ass. You were working on the Titans uh, live action series. Uh, you have the new Angel comic going in the Buffyverse. The Black Panther uh, spinoff, uh, Killmonger. Killmonger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been super busy, but you've known for a long time that Outsiders was coming. I think you started working on it back around the time of Detective. How, how did all of this uh, come about? I was, in, I was in Toronto working on Titans. And uh, DC reached out about Detective, and they asked me if I wanted to come in and do a five-issue Jefferson Pierce, Bruce Wayne thing. Uh, and I, I'm like, well, that sounds sort of like an outsider's thing, but I didn't know it was like a, uh, you know, a, pre- a prelude to all of that. And then about halfway into that run, they asked me if I'd be interested in, in writing Outsiders, and I was like, yeah, for sure. Um, and then when they said that Dexter might be interested, then I was really hyped because a lot of my work to date has been sort of talky-walky, right? Like, I'm a little little meditative, you know, um, that kind of thing. But I wanted this book to be really visceral, you know, and, and I wanted it to really pop off of the page, to be like an action-heavy book, because Tom is already doing a meditative Batman experience. So I wanted this to be like kind of a tandem experience of that that wasn't repeating Tom's beats. So... Uh, uh, when I saw Dexter was interested, I was like, oh man, it's amazing. Cause I've been a huge fan of Dexter's work for a long time. Um, and his work really jumps off of the page. It's so iconic. You know, every image is just something you want to hang on a wall or put in a t-shirt. Right. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, we just started, uh, you know, kind of working on it. Um, and then some things changed in the DCU that required me to retrofit some stuff into the narrative. Uh, so I had to change the story a little bit and do some rewriting, and that's what held the book back for a little while. But I'm really excited to get issue one in everyone's hands this week. And uh, it's a great start to the series. It feels like no time has passed since your detective run. Like, this picks up right where it left off. And uh, Dexter's art is a fantastic addition to the story. Dexter, how did you uh, come into the fold here? Uh, well, uh, uh, actually, when I was working on uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws uh, around issue 24. When I was asked by my editor to uh, if uh, I was interested uh, in doing uh, other titles after that, because actually uh, issue 25 is of Red Hood was actually the last issue that I, uh, I have to work on. So I'll be, I'll be moved to other titles. Uh, my editor asked me if I can work for the title Outsiders. Actually, it was... Entitled Outsiders at first, I'm not too sure, but I think uh, it's just as Outsiders, and then they told me uh, it's going to be Batman and Outsiders, and mm-hmm. that got me got me hyped. And <laughs> and uh, as uh, Brian told me, uh, I'm so hyped because uh, he'll be the writer, and so I got excited because uh, I've seen some, uh, I've read some uh, stories uh, that was done by him. And so, yeah, that's it. That's about it. Wow, you guys are so cute together. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need like a Randy Newman theme song. Like, you know, <laughs> when you're working on a comic book, working as a team, 
<laughs> this um, is like when you meet your pen pal for the first time. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've never actually heard Dexter's voice because I just talked to him via email. Uh, it's mainly because I'm on Asteroid Hill in downtown Los Angeles because I have grown tired of the human world. Um, <laughs> <but it's, laughs> let Charles sort it out. <laughs> With the new outsider lineup, uh, was that your decision to bring these select characters in uh, to be the new outsiders? Because it's a really super interesting choice of characters. And well, yeah, I mean. You know, we're, we were sort of dealt in with uh, Katana and Black Lightning. Mm. And I've always been a huge Cassandra Kane fan, um, which is really the reason why I wanted to work on Detective, was to be able to work with Cassandra. Yeah. Oh, thank so, you so you know. much for not calling her orphan, by the way. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, that we want to really explore is with her and Duke mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, to you know, kind of re-examine... Mm. What what they symbolize, right? Because Gotham characters symbolize things. And you know, if you call a character like Orphan, it's like, what does that mean? What's the symbolic value of her? Mm. If he's a signal, what does it mean? And and we want to be able to kind of play with that stuff and 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 see if we can shape and mold that as the narrative goes on. And as for Dexter, um, with this new lineup that you have to draw, because team books can be uh quite the task sometimes. Does any, any of them stick out to you that you like to draw specifically? Yeah, I think... Uh... I'm I'm having fun drawing Black Lightning at the moment and yes. Black Lightning and Katana actually because you know Brian Hill always make them look cool <laughs> <laughs> and when he tells a story actually I really enjoy it so both of them and also I've noticed that uh, uh, the uh, actually uh, Cassandra Kane have lots of fans mm. so I'm waiting for a perfect moment to. Uh, really make her look cool in a panel, so oh. yeah, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> but you're you're definitely you you have what it takes because um, I just wanted to say I loved Arkham Knight Genesis, man. I'm actually holding it right. Oh, here. thanks. Yeah, thanks. just beautiful artwork, man. And I, I'm really happy that you work with Brian on the outsiders right now because uh, yeah, your your artwork is definitely gonna match his great writing. But... Thank you so much. Without expecting you to get into spoiler territory, the one. Uh, difference that i'm noticing sort of a missing piece from batman and the outsiders that we aren't seeing currently batgirl is are there plans for her to be a part of this or is she kind of phased out of uh, of the situation oh i wouldn't say phased out i i want to to deal with barbara uh at some point you know in the series but when i when i spoke to dc about it I really wanted the core experience of this book to be the dangerous characters, the renegade characters, right? You know, Jefferson is a stabilizing force, but the other characters have a lot of volatility. Yeah. So I wanted to live in that volatility at least for the, the first kind of half of season one, if you will. Um, and then, you know, consider introducing characters like Barbara into that and then seeing what that brings, you know? Uh, because the... The, in order for the book, I think, to have a place to exist, it has to be different than other books that are on the shelves. It can't just be another Batman book, you know. Um, and I think what makes this book different is we're going to do a lot of unexpected things. Because nothing is sort of set in the sense that there's no promise that this, this group is going to work. You know, there's no promise that they're going to win. 
there's no promise that they're going to stay together, you know, that all these characters are going to remain on the thing. And I wanted to kind of put everything on the frying pan so that readers uh, couldn't anticipate where it was going to go. You know, it's not necessarily like a Justice League experience where, you know, they're probably going to figure a way through it. And they're probably going to, you know, kind of keep their roster the way it is. This can be a bit more fluid and a bit more unexpected. You know, like uh, when Dan DiDio and I spoke about it, we spoke about it in like musical terms. Like this is like the punk rock, hip hop version of what's going on in the DCU. So I wanted to focus on these, these renegade characters uh, in the initial story arcs. But certainly, like, I mean, I'd, I'd love to explore uh, Barbara uh, in this context. You know, I'm, I'm interested in the relationship between Cassandra and Barbara that uh, James sort of set in motion and seeing what I can do with that. I mean, I, I've kind of felt that Cassandra is living in the shadow of Barbara Gordon a little bit still. Um, but she's very different than Barbara in a lot of important ways. Yeah. Um, and kind of releasing her from that and letting her spread her wings a bit, um, no pun intended, uh, I think is a, a, a really exciting uh, thing to do. But I know there's a lot of Barbara Gordon fans out there, so, um, you know, I'm not going to leave them out in the cold. Barbara being uh, around Jefferson leading, sort of leading a, this team along with Katana is, it's an interesting uh, combination of the two because Bat, Batgirl, more than the rest, I would say, doesn't really need a leader. You know, she is closer to being a leader herself than, than any, any of the others, so... Yeah, Batgirl as a, as a mantle that Cassandra once wore is an interesting idea. Um, and if Barbara is a, is a great kind of inheritor of Bruce Wayne's detective skills, then um, you know, Cassandra is a great inheritor of Bruce Wayne's understanding uh, about how to wield darkness against darkness, right? Um, but one of the things I wanted to do with Cassandra uh, and we're doing is I don't think it's pretty, I don't think it's interesting anymore. This question of whether or not Cassandra's bad or good or, or all of that. I think she is reconciled with most of those conflicts. For me, the most interesting question for her is what's she going to become? You know, where's she going? And that's kind of the question for all these characters, right? Like, you know, Jefferson Pierce, uh, what, what's he going to do? What's he going to be? You know, uh, you have these characters that are in this place of transition. And Bruce clearly has a vision for them. Um, but do they share that vision of themselves? Or do they think they can live up to it and all of that? And when you combine that with the work that Dexter's doing, how, you know, he draws them in such an iconic way, um, it, it makes it a really interesting experience, I think, for readers. One thing I picked up on was, you know, just just the natural dynamics of the team you you almost have like you know two clicks right you got the the older uh, black lightning and katana with the younger signal and orphan and it's almost like um i can see how you can play even though it may not you know be intended but it's almost like they're they're de facto parent role models in a way when batman's not around even Duke says at one point, he's like, you know, you're not my father and you're not Batman. He's basically, you know, telling this guy kind of like you would a stepfather that is kind of 
invading your space a little bit. Hey, man, chill out, back off. You're not my, you know, you're not my dad. But I, I like how that's going right now because Jefferson can be a role model and help this kid. That's right now. He he's he's torn up inside. So Jefferson's interesting because the Jefferson that the outsiders see is Jefferson after he's gone through his own adolescence, after he's made his mistakes, after he's Mm -hmm. been that sanguine, angry young man and tried to find like a way through it. So I think part of Duke is looking at him like, man, you are like a, a, you know, an ABC family dude. Like, (laughs) you're not going to tell me I'll live my life, man. You don't know what I've been through, school teacher. You know? Right. Um, and, and, And Jefferson is thinking... Like, son, you know, I used to slap people for bottle caps when I was, you know, I was a kid. <laughs> like, you don't know. Like, I, I've been around, bro. Um, but another thing to remember with, with, with Duke is a lot of people were taken aback by the fact that I didn't really do a lot of Duke in the Detective Comics arc. You know, I injured him via karma, uh, and I didn't put him much on the field. And uh, some people were disappointed in the fact that I was I was doing it, but I always had a plan. So once I knew that outsider was going to happen, I wanted to use that stuff in the outsiders arc, right? So the events of Detective Comics, you know, that arc that starts in nine eighty four, I think, um, on the outside, Duke went through a near death experience right. in that book, um, and he was genuinely petrified by a guy. So a lot of that anger that you see in him comes from that, right? It's a compensation, you know, and, and how does Jefferson see somebody through that? And how does Duke see himself through that? And how vulnerable does that make him to the villainous influences of the world? I think all of those are really interesting things to explore. Brian, do you know how many issues that you're going to be doing on the outsiders? Or is that undetermined at this time? It's undetermined at this time. I mean, right now, I think it'll keep going as long as people want to read it. Um, <laughs> you know, like, we we haven't really talked about uh, uh, beginning or in, like, finite, you know, mm-hmm. uh, period yet. I can definitely guarantee I'll be on um, for, for 12, you Ooh, know. Nice. Um, I would think, right? I mean, unless, like, sales are so horribly low that we can't make it to 12. But... Uh, as long as as long as consumer demand is there, then um, you know I should be around for twelve of these. Uh, and we have a lot of stuff planned. You know, I mean, there's going to be an event-heavy book. Oh, nice. uh, I don't think I don't think I waste a, uh, an issue because when you have when you have Dexter's art, man, you want to blow a lot of man. shit up. Man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, Dude. <laughs> I don't want to blow some shit up, man. This book is <laughs> so. this book is beautiful, Dexter. You you killed it in this Dexter, book, the, man. Yeah, that, that katana, man. Ooh, Thanks, Dexter. guys. <laughs> what I really like Dexter uh, so far is the way you draw Batman's cape, man. This cape is like so so alive the way you draw it. Actually, I'm trying everything. Uh, I'm trying all the angles sometimes, so to get to get the right, mm. you know, <laughs> right look. And as long as uh, it looks uh, cool on the page, then I'll make it. Mm. And you're really good at drawing fighting scenes too in motion when the characters. Oh are yeah, yeah. Each other, so. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, animes and. Oh. You know, movies, mm. uh, action-packed movies, and, uh, Mortal Kombat, stuff like maybe? that. <laughs> <Something> like... <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not really, but yeah, I play. I play, 
I play Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I'm also a big gamer. So. Yeah, and I've been playing it too recently. That's why my, <laughs> my brain's in it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that, that Dexter said that because I'm using a lot of manga as an influence. You oh, know, one yeah. of the things that I told DC was, you know, I, I, I'm in the manga. Mm. I, and some of it, not all of it, but some of it. Like, I really love Satomu Nihei's work, Biomega. Mm. Uh, Biomega is one of my favorite works. And uh, I think Blame is equally cool. But I'm also a huge fan of the horror manga of Junji Ito, right? Mm. So mm, okay. there's, there's an economy of panel uh, in those works but, but every panel pushes the story forward. So one of the things in writing that you, you hear a lot is that every scene needs to push your story forward. That's true. But I also believe in comics, every panel should push your story forward. Mm. Right? Like, even if it's in a small degree, if you, have, if you have five panels in the page, that should be five steps forward in story. So when I saw Dexter's art, I'm like, okay, I can't cram these pages with panels. Dexter needs space to do what he does best. And you can see, you know, that work in issue one, you know, which is like the, the opening sequence. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really cool opening sequence and Batman isn't even in it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's an opening sequence full of characters that the reader is meeting for the first time. But I think it's as exciting as anything you're gonna see on the shelves this month. And that's largely due to how Dexter execute these, executes these, uh, these images. So. My job is to make sure that I can tell the story in a succinct way that allows him the space to create uh, and and do what he does best as well. I mean, we're both telling the story. It's not, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not telling the story and he's doing the pictures. Like, it, hopefully, both of our abilities are combining and we're we're telling the story together. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. really interesting because um, we've we've had many artists and writers on the show. But we never had the team on at the same time, the creative team. But we have always asked the artists and the writers, like, the process of the dynamic of how you guys put a book together. With your guys' dynamic, can you give us a little example of what it's like, like, in terms of uh, uh, beats? Or do you give uh, Dexter any input in terms of angles or motion? And, and Dexter, do you pick Brian's brain a little more to see where you want to delve into more with the artwork or do you guys just flow a little more naturally than that well i'll go first i guess i i don't think i do too much of that kind of indication what what my philosophy is i try to describe it um enough so that an artist can see the scene but i'm not an artist i'm not i mean i'm an artist but i'm not an illustrator you know i i I can't draw i can barely sign my own name so (laughs) I think it would be silly of me to try to be on his floor telling him where to put the, the camera, you know, if you want to use the term camera. Stay uh, in your lane, bro. Yeah, and I, I try to. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, if, an, if, if Dexter at any point was like, hey, Brian, can you give me a little bit more about what you see here? I would certainly do that. But when you're working with someone you trust, you know, why? Like, that's like telling your actor how to act. You know, like, you can... You can say faster, slower, or more intense, or whatever. You know, you can indicate that, but ultimately, you know, you want Michael Fassbender to interpret the character and do it, right? Mm. So, um, I try to only work with artists I'm excited about working with. You know, I try not to do books if I'm not excited about the artist, because then I don't think the book would really pop. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, I try to write it in a way where Dexter has the freedom to do things, and I mean, there's some there's some shit. You know, in issue two and three, 
that is bananas. Where mm. I wrote something like, you know, and then the soldiers take the cabin and I get back like three pages of the most brilliant things you've ever seen, right? <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the, the work Dexter's been doing. You talked about uh, how the how the story began and uh, that it didn't even begin with Batman. I just wanted to note that the opening of it, the the way that Dexter laid laid out the the intro to the issue, it feels cinematic. This feels like you're watching the opening of a movie. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so so Dexter, you could read Brian well with the uh, the scripting and whatever, and then you, you're able to just naturally uh, depict what uh, the story. As he sees yeah. fit to unfold it. My philosophy actually is to serve for the story because you know mm. story is the king. <laughs> so when uh, Brian asked me, uh, he actually asked me about points that I really like to do uh, for the pages, and then and things that I like actually, uh, like um, uh, movies, animes, like that. And then he asked me uh, what what thing what uh, what things that uh, I do like to draw, and actually, not 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 the things that I like, but also I don't like. So I told I uh, I told him all about it, and uh, I think it's a good uh, a good uh, point of a writer. So he knows the strengths of the artist. Yeah, like w when you're working with an artist, uh, because I have a background in filmmaking, I'm also a filmmaker, right? Um, I think about working with an artist the same way you work with all the various departments, because basically Dexter is the, you know, like he's most of the director. Uh, he's definitely the cinematographer. Um, he's the actor, right? Uh, you know, it's all of that. He's the editor in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, sometimes you edit with the way you do the panels, but how those panels flow from image to image, that's Dexter's job, right? He's doing all that stuff. He's, he's controlling the way the eye is moving across the page, the same way an editor would control the pace of the scene. Yeah, that's um, true because... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, sometimes uh, I actually uh, study uh, 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 camera shots on movies, cinematographies. Uh, I get some points from there and then apply it to panels. Well, like what's, and, a, what's a favorite movie that you, you've done that and kind of applied that to uh, your own... I think the greatest uh, the greatest movie that I've seen in cinematography uh, would be uh, Blade Runner, the first one. Yeah. In, yeah, it's an incre incredible movie, incredible cinematography. I, for, I sometimes I forgot uh, watching the story, just looking at the the camera shots. Well, and and you know, like we take Blade Runner, right? Well, Blade Runner was shot in uh, anamorphic. So it's in a two three five ratio, um, uh, and that means that you have a pretty long frame. And composition is incredibly important when you're shooting anamorphic because there's a lot of negative space, uh, and you have things happening in the foreground, middle ground, and background. Right? You need to make sure you've layered your frame effectively, or it's just you know you've just got lazy space there, right? So so like those are things that you can kind of apply in the writing a little bit. By just giving giving someone a, a, a box of tools, right? Like, where are you setting a scene? Are you setting a scene in a place that uh, lends itself to interesting, you know, angles? Um, you know, like there's a there's a moment in the issue one more where we see a character first through a reflection, right? Well, I can I can put that in the script 
because it's an interesting thing to do, right? So, you know, because Dexter's all those departments, I approach it the same way I would approach making a film. You want to you, you talk to your DP and you want to find out what your DP likes to shoot. You know, if you're shooting There Will Be Blood, if you're trying to make that, you probably <laughs> don't want to work with a DP who doesn't like being outside, right? Like, you know, like if a, if a DP is obsessed with shooting interiors, then There Will Be Blood might not be the right movie. But, you know, another film, you know, uh, might, be, might be there. So because I have the ability, it's always easier for a writer to change something than an artist to change something. Because, I'm a, you know, I can write four or five comic books a month. Mm. I write about, on average, I write three, three to five books a month while I'm working on a television series and I'm doing screenplay jobs. And I'm, I'm prepping my own feature that I want to shoot at the end of the year, right? Mm. But I'm a writer. When do you sleep? <laughs> like every other day, right? But... <laughs> I can do that because it's writing and you can kind of break it up and whatever. What Dexter has to do is sit at a table and he's got to draw. It's a physical task. Mm. It requires actual physical exertion. And so, mental, actually. And mental, right? It's like it's, like, yeah. it's really taxing because mm. I, I know Dexter. artists really well. And, 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 and Dexter, so, so talk a little bit about you know, the process of, having, of, of drawing these pages. What, what is that like you know, for you? Well, actually, uh, I... Yeah, first off, I, I, re I read your uh, story, the script, panel to panel, and then visualize it, actually, like, it's like playing, it's like playing a movie in my head. And then I get those uh, key frames, and then apply it on the page. That's how I make it. <laughs> it actually sounds uh, easy, but it's actually really hard. Uh, just finding the right angles, you know. It's a lot more difficult, I'm sure, than uh, than you make it sound because you're you're taking someone's words and starting with a blank canvas yes. and bringing their words to life. That's uh, it. I've I've always imagined that it was exceedingly difficult to to just get started, know where to start that that whole process. But do you draw digitally as well? Yeah, yeah, I draw. Uh, I ink my uh, art uh, digitally. Oh. Uh, do you ever send Brian like preliminary sketches and and you guys kind of talk about? Yeah, how to... actually, okay. I send uh, first I send layouts of the page and then to Brian and uh, other editors and then uh, they give me notes if uh, it works and then I'll go ahead and render it. I'll I'll see some of the preliminary stuff and and I don't <laughs> comment much because I don't need to comment much because mm -hmm. it's all really good, you know. Um, but it's helpful for me because the, the longer you work with someone, the more you can anticipate the feeling of the images they're going to create. And then that helps you tee up some stuff, you know. Now, because I was familiar with Dexter's work going in, I turned the action way up in Outsiders. Like, there is more action per book in this book than in any of my other books that you can find in the stands. Mm. And it's mainly because... Uh, this is the first time, you know, I've worked with someone who I just think can, is so gifted at those big panel moments, you know, uh, like I, I, I really enjoyed working on Killmonger. Uh, I think Juan is great, but Juan's approach to action tends to be almost like staccato, right? Like boom, 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 boom. Like just like little punchy beats of things, you know? Um, but uh, like, I guess the filmmaker equivalent would be, it sort of feels like shaky cam in, in uh, in the Bourne movie, 
right? But but Dexter's work has this kind of operatic grandeur to it uh, uh, that I love. You know, it 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 just a lot of key images that just get a lot done. Um, and so you know, you start building, you know, building your sequences, knowing you know that stuff is is well executed, right? So everything feels a little different. Um, but the most exciting part to me about writing comics is the collaboration. You know, if I wanted to do everything myself, I have mediums I can work in where I can, right? So the, the, the thing that's exciting for me is to work with someone else and kind of play to those strengths and also, you know, see where uh, those images and trying to make those images, it challenges me and my instrument to do different things. Um, than I would normally do. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, everything's a learning experience, but it's, I think for any writer that's out there that's listening to this, thinking about writing comics, it's really important to work with the artists and understand their work and ask them questions. You know, I mean, it's easier for you to change an approach. So uh, lean to where they're, they're having fun because when, when people are having fun, it's going to show on the page and the readers are going to have a better experience. We just want to say real quick how excited we are that um, Brian and Dexter are working on Batman and the Outsiders. Make sure you pick that up this uh, May 8th, right? At, uh, Wednesday, May 8th on the bookstands. Batman and the Outsiders with a new fresh team. Black Lightning, Duke DeSignal, Cassandra Kane, and Katana overlooked by Batman. I mean, the, the artwork and the writing is something you could trust in to be excellent. So we're really excited about that. I'm going to be pushing it hard because we definitely want this series... To go, uh, to keep going. Um, really excited. I I don't think I've been excited for a team book like this in a long time. Like, I, good, get excited because <laughs> the book is the book is good. It's yeah. a good book, man. Go out and get good this book. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, I, and there's some new interesting characters. We got yeah. new characters in yeah. here, man. We got yeah. we got things. There are things going on in this book. You should go get this book. It's we made this for you. You better eat it. It's dope. dope. Now, you uh, you made mention of uh, working on screenplays and working towards your own feature. Now, speaking of that, there have there's been some word going around over recent months that uh, 2019 might possibly be uh, the at least a temporary end of writing comics for you. Uh, Is is that uh, possibly accurate? Well, no. I mean, I I was considering. Fake news. It's fake news. Don't <laughs> believe that. It's fake news. It's fake. It's bad. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, on, uh, to, to be totally honest, uh, the 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 back and forth in the culture of comics had started to bum me out, um, and I just didn't want to be a part of it. You know. Because I, I didn't come into comics to yell at other comic book creators to to fight wars with people on Twitter, like that sort of thing. Wait, back and, and forth between creators or fans or both? Like what? Just like you know, just like the, the comics gate thing and the other thing and right, the other thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Like and all of that is like it was just I didn't come into the game for that. Yeah. You know? And and anyone who follows me on social media knows that's not my way, mm-hmm. you know. This is not how I live, man. Yeah. Uh, and it was feeling like every you know everything was about that, mm. you know. And it, and it was leaving the storytelling behind 
and it was more about like this war that was going on, yeah. you know, and and that was just bumming me out, man. And um, combining that with my schedule just picking up steam in other areas, I mean, working on a TV show is a lot of work. You know, I got to go to Toronto uh, for my episode uh, in a few weeks, and you know, and, and you're doing that, and you're working on things, and it just seemed like if this is going to be what what the landscape is, then maybe I'll just step aside, you know? Mm. Um, but it calmed down a little bit and, uh, I got a lot of positive outpouring from folks and just talked to readers and mm. realized that you don't have to pay attention to any of that. You that's know, true. you can just kind of create your stuff and let it go. So that's, that's sort of where I went. Now I, I will say that I am making an effort to do, to only do projects that are special to me in some way. And I'm very fortunate to not have to do anything I don't want to do. That's awesome. Um, and I don't, you know, comics aren't a revenue stream for me, really. Mm. You know, like, uh, um, I make my money writing TV. I make my money on screenwriting. You know, that kind of thing. I really do comics for a love of the medium and, and interacting with readers. Yeah. And just the joy of having your work come out every month and people experiencing it. Yeah. So that'll always keep me around. But uh, I, I'm just trying to pare down the work so that retailers know when my name is on a book, it means something. Yeah. You know, it's not just like I'm just filling out shelves, right? And readers know that if my name is on a book, it means something. So I would like to always be doing this stuff in some, in some form, but I, I'd rather do less books that are, that are better books than just have like a shotgun of books out there all the time. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. That does. You're a man uh, of quality, you, Brian. I like it. You, you commented on the, man uh, of quality. you, you yes. commented on the uh, state of things on social media. And I just wanted to point out for anyone who doesn't follow you already, you have one of the most positive and uplifting presences on Twitter. Uh, I have seen, I agree. Yeah, whether it's people that are coming to you from a, a, a point of positivity that you, you they're enjoying what you're doing. Uh, I've seen you have great interactions with people like that, but also people who have come at you, not that it maybe happens too often, but I've seen people that have come at you with negativity and you've just met them with enough positivity that it turned the whole interaction into a positive. Mm. And, uh, well, here's, that, here's the thing. You know, like, if somebody is coming at you on social media before you get mad and and just rawr, you know just kind of clap back at them consider the state of mind a person might be in when they're taking time out of their day to say something negative about you online or negative to you right mm -hmm. and to me that it, look we all have bad days like folks have bad days right and i'm not going to make anyone's day worse and i feel like if you're if you're commenting to me and, and I have the time to respond, well, you are inviting a conversation, right? And I found that like nine times out of 10, if you just have a patient conversation with somebody, um, they'll come off of whatever like flaming sword they were going to hit you with, you know, because they feel like, oh, oh, wait a minute. You're actually talking to me. Maybe <laughs> I won't be an arse. I remember what it was like to talk to somebody who created something that I, that I liked, that I bought, that I read, you know, and 
Um, I, ha- I had some bad experiences with some pros way back in the day. I'm not going to name names. It doesn't really matter. Don't hold grudges. Um, and maybe they were having a bad day. Whatever. You don't take it personally. But what I never want to do is is give someone a bad experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, I mean, social media isn't a whole picture of anyone. You're, 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 you're really, it's billboards interacting with billboards. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to keep that in mind, you know? Uh, like a person isn't their Twitter feed. Person is a whole three-dimensional person with their own life on identity. So if someone um, reaches out to me, uh, uh, I want to make sure that they have like a, a positive experience. And if I'm feeling impatient or if I'm feeling, you know, whatever, like I'm not in the mood, then I just won't respond and I'll wait until I come off of it and I'll respond later, right? Mm. But um, I, you know, when you're, when you're lucky enough, fortunate enough, to be in a position where people care about your stuff, even if they care and don't like it, they still care. Right. Like, and, and I just look at that like, wow, that's, that blows my mind. I was a, you know, I was a kid who grew up in a single parent home in St. Louis, Missouri. I didn't even have enough money to buy comics. I just checked them out from the library and to go back to the library where you checked out books because you were too poor to actually buy them from a shop and see your books on the shelf. You know, I don't have any time to be mad at somebody. Mad about what? <laughs> right? Like, mad about what? Right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the best way I know to keep the comics community uh, a positive place, an inclusive place, um, is to be an example of that. Right? So what I try to do is instead of, like, pontificating about how I think other people should act, I just try to act in accordance with the ethics that I think are, are important, mm. you know, and if you write superheroes, especially, I think you do have something of a responsibility to maintain those ethics in your life, mm. in the way you interact with people, yeah. right? Otherwise, what the hell are you writing? That's true. It's funny. You know, like, you know, like, be like Bruce Wayne. Right? Yeah. How would Bruce Wayne do it? He might have. Well, um, he might have. Punch him in the face. <laughs> well, I didn't, say, I didn't say Batman. I said Bruce. Yeah. Right? Now, I, I could totally see you using exactly what you just told and using that in this story with how, you know, Jefferson interacts with Duke or Orphan mm-hmm. or vice versa. I could totally see you doing that. I used to be a, a teacher. Uh, I mean, I wasn't like a regular teacher. I was a sub, right? But you were the you know, cool teacher. Th- the, I, I tried to be. These were the jobs you get when you come out of film school and nobody wants to hire you to do anything, but you like books and you can talk to kids. Um, so a lot of that personal experience goes into the book, man. Uh, but That's awesome. you know, ultimately, we're writing characters that we all love, um, that you know, they don't always do the right thing. They try to do the right thing. They do make mistakes. Um, but Ultimately, they're trying to serve a higher state of ethics, right? And um, I, I do believe that I have something of a responsibility to represent those ethics when I communicate with people. Absolutely. You know, um, otherwise, I would feel like I was kind of faking the funk on the nasty dunk. You know, like <laughs> you know, like That's you know, the title I mean, of this episode now. Yeah, you know, like. I mean, it's, it's like it's why I love Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill is exactly what you'd want Luke Skywalker to be. Hmm. 
Like, can you imagine if Mark Hamill was like an asshole? How much of a bummer would that be, right? <laughs> well, he, well, he is the Joker, so. Yeah, I mean, he is the Joker, right? But like, you know, Everyone grew up with like Mark Hamill or something. And I really admire that guy because he's a human being like anybody else. But you never see Mark out there, you know, taking shots at people. And people take shots at him sometimes over nothing. Mm. Over nothing. Yeah. And he always handles it with grace. Um, and, uh, you know, I look at, I look at folks like that and I, you know, I admire them and I try to, try to walk those same, same footsteps. Uh, unless you destroy Luke Skywalker in your movie, then, uh, Mark Hamill will give you what for? Well, you know, everyone has feelings and thoughts. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, it was a movie. We're just talking facts. Yeah, Dexter and Brian, uh, did you guys see Endgame? I haven't yet because I don't have three hours in a row. (laughs) 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 So three movie trips. Try to wait. We'll try to get there this weekend or something, bro. But man, like. It's hard to find three hours in a row where I don't have my phone isn't blowing up or email or something isn't due. Mm. Like, and I don't think I don't think um, uh, the cinema would appreciate me sitting there with my iPad working on comics in the middle of that theater. <laughs> so, um, uh, although I might have to do that when I see it this weekend and see the first show on Sunday and just be that dude in the back, like, yo, I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta write this book. I gotta see this movie, but I gotta write this book, man. So, iPad in the lap. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> what about you, Dex? Did you get a chance to see it yet? Or? No. Actually, I haven't seen it yet. Man, you guys are busy working on this outsider book. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to be. We're dying for you. You, you are bleeding. <laughs> bleeding for us. Oh, man. I can't hey. even walk my dog making this book. I got shit piled up in my house because I can't walk my dog for you for you I'm doing this you you hear that folks make sure you pick those copies up you guys are bleeding it out but uh oh man Brad Walker didn't want to hear that (laughs) oh boy a a lightning round in here Brian I got a question for you man yeah if you gain three pounds of fat every time you cussed how long before you couldn't fit out of the house Man, shit! I would outgrow my chair (laughs) in about like an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I, I mean, I don't know if we can we can curse on this podcast. Although I have to drop the bombs. But I mean, you know, motherfucker is a verb. It's a noun. (laughs) It's an adjective. You know, I mean, you can be like, motherfucker, I motherfucker that motherfucker all the way back to that motherfucker. <laughs> it may be the only word that is a force of nature. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know what the fuck I just said. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my photography professor taught me that. He was from Harlem. He's like, man, this is the fucking shit of the whole shit. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. okay. We're going to get to the lightning round here, so let's just get to uh, what has become sort of a favorite part of the lightning round here. What we've been doing lately is we have the guest will answer the lightning round questions, and then they follow up. They give us their own lightning round question that we will then ask to the next guest. Yeah, we right. had Joey Lawrence on two episodes ago, so it got a little crazy. Whoa. 
<laughs> Whoa! About, so, about what? Nice. Just, a, just, just. He was just around. <laughs> he, he, he was, no. He was campaigning to play Batman. Yeah. He wants to be Batman. So, yeah. Had him come on to to tell people why he should. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to listen but, to uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, no shots fired at you, Joey. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here. To, I'm, I want to hear it. I want to know. <laughs> He's passionate. Know. He's passionate. Give him a chance. Give him a listen. Hey, you know, hey, Joey can can hit me up. Um, we'll get a bat suit. We'll go ahead and shoot something. Man, you'll be Batman on Saturday. <laughs> We're gonna make things happen. <laughs> I'll make it work. What's going to happen uh, tonight is you and Dexter will be answering a question and then the two of you can either as a creative team give one question or give your own separate questions that will be for i want to tell you who it's for in case it influences it you'll be answering a question from yannick paquette and the question or questions that the two of you pose will be for our next guest tom king Ooh, we get the yes, Tomer question. Yo, how do I kill somebody with a paperclip? <laughs> All right, Robin, ask, ask the question. Okay, so Yannick Paquette's question was, when you eat Kraft Mac and Cheese, do you eat it with a fork or with a spoon? Man, I eat it with a straw because I'm that dude. <laughs> <laughs> find out. And that's up your nose, uh, right? Yannick was, Yannick was not familiar with the existence of a spork. <laughs> so you can, if you use a spork, feel free to, to answer spork. Sporks are good, but the straw gives straw. you the better rush. That's hardcore. There man. you go. Straw, straw puts it right up that it puts that cheese right up to the brain, man. I'm like Tony Montana on a mac and cheese. <laughs> How about you, Dexter? Really, I don't eat mac and cheese. So <laughs> Dexter just called me fat. <laughs> no. He's like, he's like, hey, 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 fat kid, stop eating that. <laughs> we gotta, do, we gotta do the classic ones. Dexter uh... actually doesn't have time to eat. He's just drawing the entire he's time. Drawing, no. He's drawing the whole time. That's what we do. Hey, hey, let, let's let's do a shout out to Veronica Gandini uh, while we're oh, yeah. on here because she is awesome and and I just want to make awesome sure I give colorist. yeah awesome colors. Let's give her some love on here because she's she's really doing a bang up job. Yeah, those she colors killed us. Those are great colors. Yeah. I, I made sure that uh, I tagged her in my tweet about the book because yeah, this book really did look fantastic and she is as much uh, to to a credit for that as anyone. Mm. Dexter, uh, New York style pizza or big thick Chicago deep dish pizza? Oh, I like uh, New York style. Nice. Actually, uh, I eat at Sabaro sometimes. You know. Oh, they have, so. oh, they have that over there. Yeah. <laughs> what what toppings do you get on your pizza? Uh, extra cheese, I, I think. Oh, extra I cheese. Okay. <laughs> yeah, do you have uh, M and M's over there where you are? You have M and M's before? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Actually, so... my yeah, my parents are uh, in the states, so. Sometimes they, they, bring you they send me some M&M's. So do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you like the, the plain M&M's? Candies. Plain or peanut? Do you remember? Plain or peanut M&M's? Uh, I think uh, 
I like the plain ones. Plain ones, alright. Good, yeah. right. good man. Good man. These are the traditional Bad Force lore questions that we always go through, everyone. And, uh, we gotta get their questions. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They gotta give us a question for Tom King. Right. So Make them crazy. <laughs> you can either combine for a question, brainstorm it, or just give your own separate question. For Tom King. Well, I have a question. I'll, 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 I'll just ask a question here. What is his favorite Phil Collins song? Okay. Nice. That's a good one. Nice. And you better have one or I'm going to come find it. <laughs> favorite? Probably the, one, probably the one from the, from the Spirit soundtrack. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, yeah. You, know, you better have one, though. Don't let him be on, on, on some, I don't listen to Phil Collins. He's a lie. Everybody listens to something. <laughs> You can know a lot about a man's soul by what Phil Collins song he likes. I'm just saying. <laughs> I've, I've lost many friendships over Studio. Hey, I, I actually got a question for Brian. Who is the greatest hip-hop group of all time? Careful. Of all time? Yeah. Oh, man. Come on, man. This will come to the mind right away. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I probably... Staying groups, man, I probably got to say Tribe Called Quest. Like, <laughs> oh. too much talent. Too much talent in that group, man. Because they were they they were all geniuses up in there. But you know, and then like I, I would like, say Wu Tang Clan, but the Wu Tang Clan beat me up in Staten Island, so you know. That's another yeah. interview. Yeah, we'll do a whole Wu Tang Clan. Wait, really? So I can tell you that. Yes, they. Yeah, I have a scar in my lip. Oh my god, from, you have to tell me the story. This is <laughs> I'm getting stomped out by the Wu Tang Clan. You you got you got the the badge well, of I, honor for Wu Tang. I know it's hard to believe, fellas. But I talk a lot of shit. <laughs> and apparently, the Wu-Tang Clan really ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> Guys, can we get a round of applause for Brian's birthday? Happy birthday, yes, happy Brian. Birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. And uh, Dexter, tell everyone where to find you on social media as well. Yeah, they can find me on Instagram. My name is uh, Soy. It's like a Star Wars Death Star planet, you know. Oh, Death Star. <laughs> and, sorry, okay. Yeah. Star. And then you can also find me on Twitter with the main name uh, on it, Dexter Soy. And Perfect. I also have a Facebook page. It's Dexter Soy Nefar 007. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Dexter, for giving us your time. And thank you so that. much, guys. Gramps. Take us through a Dallas Fan Expo 2019. You know, the thing that you missed um, Elvira for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they uh, they scheduled that and the Texas Frightmare Festival on the same weekend. So oh. it, was, it was hard to do everything and be everywhere at once. Um, I had to commit to one or the other. And I mean, Dallas Fan Expo had so many names, so many comic creators coming in uh, this year that... It was, you know, it was hard not to pass up. I mean, they had uh, our boy Doug Monkey, Jim Lee coming in. They had a rare appearance by Jeff Loeb. Man, who else? Pete Tomasi, Patrick Gleason, John Byrne, Ryan Stegman, Donnie Cates. A, a, a lot of names, and it was just an awesome opportunity to get to meet uh, a lot of those guys and, you know, talk to them, pick up some art. Shake their hand. Oh, Jai Lee was in there. Scott Williams. And um, so, yeah, I had to commit to three days of doing the con. And, I mean, I don't normally do, like, three days of cons. I mean, that's – I can knock it out in one, maybe two, if there's, like, um, 
a celebrity or something that I really want to see. But for this year, I mean, I, I had to do the three day pass. And, um, so Friday night I got off work kind of late, but I, I hustled down to the Dallas convention center and, um, met Scott Williams and Jai Lee, talked to them a little bit and, um, got some art. And then the next day was the big day. Uh, I met our boy, Doug Monkey and uh, JJ from JJ's Comics and Art, uh, Clay Mann, uh, Tomasi, Gleason. I had a panel with Jeff Loeb, and it was cool because Jeff Loeb, you know, he did a signing, and then he had a panel later, and he told some interesting stories. He told about how he got into comics, um, you know, out of. Coming out of film school, he had written Teen Wolf and Commando. And, you know, both those movies became like huge hits. So um, I think it was Warner Brothers wanted him to do a new superhero movie after uh, Batman 89 had become just, you know, a blockbuster. They were they were looking to build on, uh, you know, the coattails of that with a new superhero. So he, he was hired on to do. Uh, flash and he just said he couldn't wrap his head around the story he couldn't really come up with anything except other than um he had to keep his metabolism up and he ate a lot of candy bars and and ran uh out of his shoes you know burned up his shoes but other than that he couldn't do anything so he he gave the money back which i mean in hollywood you you rarely hear of someone giving money back. He would, and he says, you know, these days people will tell you never give the money back. Just write a shitty script and turn it in and keep the money. They're gonna, you know, they're not gonna ask for their money back because back in the days I didn't know any better. So that's the only ideas he could come up with. And then he says, years later, I see it in the comics that they had him eating candy bars to keep up his metabolism and outrunning his shoes. And, um, so he didn't do the flash movie, but they wanted him to maybe write a comic. So he's like, okay, I'll do Superman. And they're like, well, no, we've got someone doing Superman. Okay. I'll do Batman. And they're like, you don't understand how comics works. If you take over a book like that, you're putting other people out of, out of a job. So we've got to, find a character that's not really being used so he picked uh i think i don't know what it was unknown mysteries or something like that something not real popular and they were like okay yeah sure so he went down to san diego with his uh editor and spent like three days walking around artist alley and, and stuff trying to look at artists and find artists and he approached these uh young artists that were doing amazing work and uh he asked them to uh, if they wanted to do this unsolved or unknown mysteries book with him and they looked at him and they're like you know we're about to do x-men and we're doing this and this and this and he's like so i didn't get jim lee at that time um that's who he was talking to but then on the third day he was there his editor came up and said Hey, I think we found someone to do this book. His name's Tim Sale. And talked about how, you know, meeting them 
meeting Tim for the first time. They just really hit it off. They, they liked the same movies. Um, they just had real good chemistry. And he told the story, he goes, I really like that you draw ugly people. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of cool. You know, he's like, you know, he, he, you draw them fat, you draw them tall, you draw them short. They're not always the prettiest people. They don't all look like Bruce Wayne. And, you know, he felt like he could write a, a better story knowing that he had an artist that could, uh, had some flexibility that way. And, um, so that was really cool. And um, he did talk, you know, some about, you know, the Marvel TV and um, how it was really Netflix's decision not to continue the, the Marvel shows. Um, that was their decision, whatever the reason was, probably because they're investing a lot in their own original material. He didn't say that. That's my opinion. But, um, and someone asked, you know, is there going to be a place for maybe some of those other characters or shows through like Hulu? And he didn't say no. He was just like, I'll just tell you, like I always, uh, always say, just, just stay tuned. And then he winked. So who knows? Maybe we'll get to see, uh, you know, daredevil or you know some of the other uh defender characters on a on a different stream service he did say that he is going to be doing another comic book with tim sale um fuck yeah i hope it's batman well being that he's like what the it's probably another marvel the one. executive vice president of marvel tv hmm. he's probably going to be on marvel yeah. Let's um, do a Logan Black or something. Did he? I wonder if they signed Tim Sale exclusively to DC or not. I think Tim Sale might be more freelance, so maybe. It yeah, is I don't think he is. I mean, because he's he's been doing a lot of. I just want that long Halloween three boy shit. Can't hang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, at his signing, he, you know, you only got two two things signed. But somebody was smart because I was like, what's that guy doing? Because he had like all these books. He bought multiple uh, passes. I would have did the exact That's how you play the game, man. I didn't know you could do that. Legends would have bought him out, boy. Yeah. So did uh, you get your dark? You have you have absolute dark victory. Yes, sir. Gramps, too. Gramps, that's what you got signed. No. I just got a trade. Oh, that, so, was the, that was the trade? It looked mad big. I don't know. Oh, that was the guy before me. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when I'm getting my stuff signed, I'm not, I'm not taking pictures with him. I'm chatting him up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but the thing is, the cool thing is, is that um, he had two signings. He had another one on Sunday. So, and that was for like... You know, CGC uh, type of what stuff. What was he charging but, for the uh, autographs? Um, the first one, which was not CGC, was only like $30. Mm. For the two second, items? Yeah, for two items. Oh, the second one was $60. Mm. But that was with the possibility that it could get CGC certified. I'm not going to do that with trades. I just want right. to see you see a trade. <laughs> Can you see that? I'm going to see you see this omnibus, boy. You fucking absolute <laughs> shit. 
Hey, dude, people, people were bringing that shit to do that, man. You see, you see it on people's. They were, man. They were. Yeah, that's some legend shit right there, man. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, I was just like, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to pay for a second signing. But I was like, you know what? I can make sixty bucks again. Jeff Loeb's a fucking unicorn, though, man. I don't like, know if he's gonna make a trip to Dallas again, so I gotta my- do this. My only other shot at Jeff Loeb was three, no, four years ago now at uh, NYCC, and I missed it by a hair on the wristband. Oh, no shit. That's crazy. And it was cool. You know, when you go to these cons, you know, um, you wait in your line, and, and you're waiting there for a long time, and you kind of start up conversations with people. And, you know, you get different, uh, you know, Different people, people from different walks of life, and you know, talking about their favorite stories and why they like it and all this stuff. So, it, it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting to hear mm-hmm. other people's stories. And then, um, so mostly, I just focused this year on 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 all the comic stuff. I didn't do any of the celebrity photo things. I really spent very little time in like the merchant area. It was just all about these comic artists and, and, you know, taking the time to, mm. to see their work and, and, you know, Doug do. Yeah. Oh, spent a lot of time with, uh, Doug. I mean, he, Doug Mackey for our listeners. Yeah. He had an exclusive. That a VIP comic. package, right? Well, he had a, he had a, exclusive detective comics 1000 variant you know for the mm. arkham knight um some good dude it was a virgin cover mm. um really cool and i mean i swear he was the most popular artist of the whole convention um he always had a line um i don't know if it's just because you know that was his first time appearing here in dallas He's a popular people, dude. People wanted that Arkham um, Knight, and you know, just because he he's a he's an icon. You know, he's been doing this for twenty five years. Doug do man. He did uh, the Green Lantern run. He did uh, Detective yeah. Comics one thousand. That's what I was sitting there. I was just watching these people and the various books that they were bringing to me. I mean, it was everything. Yeah, everything. And he sat there and signed them all. He didn't charge anything to sign. He's wow. like, man, that's awesome. And, you know, he was talking with everybody. and He had his Bat uh, Force radio shirt on the first day. You know, shout Friday, out. he wore his Bat Force radio shirt. Shout out to and, him. Uh, yeah, boy. And, you know, and his partner, JJ, I mean, that guy's as nice as they come, man. I mean, those guys show how to do it right, you know. Mm. They they treat everybody, you know, that comes in like a friend and, you know, they, they, they go the extra mile to make sure that everyone that comes to their booth leaves with a great experience. And I, w- I was just sitting there. I was just like, wow, this is amazing, man. This is really cool. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I got some prints from Doug and then um, he surprised me. He uh, on on Sunday, I'm kind of getting a little choked up right now. He surprised me with uh, a head Take your time, sketch boy. of a uh, Dark Knight 3 head sketch, you know, like a DKR Batman. Mm. So, that so was he, he had it done. He wasn't. He had it done for you already. Well, or was he doing it in front of you? 
I watched him do it. Oh, you watched him do it. Okay. Yeah. I I had um I had brought you know a lot of books to sign, and I brought some sketch covers in case I wanted to get some commissions. Um, but I brought the DK three book, and I I asked him. I was like, you know, I hated that you didn't get a DK three variant cover, and he just kind of smiled. And uh, I was like, Damn. you know, I asked him. I was like. Is that something that maybe um, I could get? I didn't. I didn't. If if I could, I could. If I couldn't, oh well, no big deal. But on day three, I guess he had a DC panel with Jim Lee, Pete Tomasi, uh, James Tinian, and Frank Thierry. Mm. Who that guy? He's so cool. It was a really cool panel. It was 80 years of Batman, you know, kind of a retrospect and what each creator had done and what they wanted to do. And then kind of talking about, you know, their favorite things about, you know, not just Batman, but all the rogues and and the mythos and, and who they looked up to and what stories got them into wanting to be um, creators themselves. And then Doug and, and Jim kind of, you know, they were there from the artist perspective and then the other three guys were from the writing perspective. So it was kind of cool to, to see Jim and Doug kind of, you know, go back and forth about, you know, certain things and how they like to draw certain things. And, and, uh, you know, Jim, he was kind of teasing Doug because he goes, you know, on, on your sketches, a lot of times you draw your characters looking left, Doug. Whereas I draw mine looking right. Um, and it's because Doug's left-handed. So his natural flow is to draw a head looking left. And Jim's like, I didn't realize it until you explained that to me because a lot of my drawings, I draw the person looking right. And it's just the natural flow of the wrist. Um, and you can see more of what your hand's doing while you're drawing if it's facing that direction. And just little things like that. Um, it was kind of cool to hear these guys, you know, as professional artists and, and creators, you know, giving like little notes about, you know, how they do certain things like that. I met some other uh, really cool artists. This artist yeah. named Tony Rodriguez. He did this uh, splash page. And I mean, it's literally the closest I'm ever going to get to having an original Frank. So yeah, he, I was just expecting, you know, him to just pull it off the shelf and give it to me. No, he re-inked the whole thing right there in front of me. So it was really cool. And then, uh, you know, who, I met this other artist, Seth Groves and this guy, uh, super talented young man. And, um, I, I, I had to get some pieces of his, uh, artwork he said that um you know at these conventions these you know the the publishers like dc and marvel they'll they'll walk the floor kind of looking for the you know new young talent and he's been doing this like four years professionally you know um and that's pretty much all he does is conventions and stuff like that and he said that you know the dc rep really liked um his work he did a he did a Shazam Zachary Levi print and it was like a metallic foil print. Um, 
that Zachary is going to use for like a charity donation. Mm. I mean, the likeness is perfect. So that was really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a great time just, you know, meeting a lot of the comic artists that don't come to Texas a lot. Um, every year the fan expo starts bringing in surprisingly bigger and bigger names and it keeps getting better. And it's all, I saw this meme today where it was like, uh, what's that cook's name? Guy Fieri or something like that. Looking in a restaurant while someone was eating and, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> me in New York while everything's happening at Dallas Fan Expo. And I was like, this is how I feel when it's going on at San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con. I'm stuck in Dallas and you guys are all mm-hmm. having amazing experiences there. So probably the, my most fun con ever. And I mean, I, I give all the credit for that to uh, Doug and JJ because of Dougie Doo. That's awesome. Glad you had a good time, Gramps. Yeah, Gramps at Fan Expo Dallas 2019. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. Bad Force Radio, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. And uh, tune in next time when we hear about Legends CGCing an Omnibus. That's going to be on the next episode. <laughs> hey, Gotham Dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.